Welcome to the Connection Healthcare Podcast. Today's episode will deal with partnering with pharma and how patient advocacy groups can better advance their cause. Today in the studio, we have with us Connor Galloway, the Senior Vice President of Strategic Services for the Rare Disease Center of Excellence. I'd like to welcome Connor to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Rob. Uh, so timing-wise, we have an interesting array of events that are coming to fruition with, what is it, the third annual Rare Disease Day coming up in Pennsylvania? It is, yes, and the 10th annual Rare Disease Day globally. So, Connor, Connection Healthcare has a bit of a history with Rare Disease Day, especially in Pennsylvania. Can you tell us a little about how uh, it was incepted and how Connection got involved? Yeah, sure. So three years ago, the National Organization for Rare Disorders, NORD, decided to, after many years of being involved in Rare Disease Day across the United States, NORD decided to focus its efforts on state house events. These events are held at many state capitals across the United States, hopefully this year across all of the state capitals in the U.S., and they're organized by NORD volunteers, committee members like myself here in Pennsylvania, who volunteer their time to uh, set up a day that we can meet with legislators, we can get patients up to the Hill, Capitol Building in Harrisburg here in Pennsylvania, but also in Boston and Massachusetts, uh, Washington, D.C., et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, And we get patients in front of their legislators to talk about the challenges of rare diseases, the legislative efforts being put forth by Nord. A lot of great folks there help us out in logistical preparations, planning, and then uh, actual on-site logistics the day of. So again, this is our third year sponsoring and uh, being involved in the planning of Rare Disease Day in Pennsylvania. Uh, That's fantastic. Rare disease is certainly coming more and more in the forefront on uh, social media, in the news. But let's take a minute and take a step back for those who are somewhat new to this uh, landscape. And and if we could kind of define what makes up a rare disease and why we're codifying something as a rare disease. So here in the U.S., a rare disease qualifies if it affects under 200,000 patients across the nation. Interestingly, that breaks out to about 1 in 10 or 30 million Americans qualify as having a rare disease. There's really over 7,000 diseases that have been identified as rare. But the really sad part of, of all of this is 95% of those 7,000 diseases don't have any single approved treatment, you know, which is really where Rare Disease Day comes in. It is giving the patient advocates and the patients themselves and their families and their colleagues and their friends a voice in the community at a state capital level, at a national level, to have that voice and say this is not acceptable to not have treatments for 95% of these diseases, to not have laws protecting these patients, to not have laws incentivizing newborn screening efforts and incentivizing drug companies to get out there and actually develop treatments. Really, we've heard from a lot of patients over the last few years, and we work closely with a lot of advocacy groups, given the nature of our work in, in medical communications. Historically, our Rare Disease Center of Excellence comes on early in phase two for most of our pharmaceutical and biotech partners. And we're responsible for helping these companies communicate their data effectively, uh, clearly, and uh, also helping them to raise disease awareness. Diagnosis is a huge issue pretty much for every rare disease. So it's a huge issue across the community and one that they are very aware of. So education of HCPs 
and really of helping patients become advocates uh, with educational materials is, is a huge goal for most of our clients and for us as well. Do the causes of a rare disease, whether they're inherited or not, cause any other particular challenges that you wouldn't face in, in any other disease diagnosis? So really just the lack of information is one of the biggest issues. With 7,000 rare diseases, most family physicians, most pediatricians don't have access to the kind of education about every single one of those diseases that they would need to make an effective and accurate diagnosis as early on as possible. So early diagnosis is a great issue for the majority of the rare disease community. And, you know, as a lot of these rare diseases, 50% of them, according to Global Genes, don't have a foundation supporting the disease or supporting education around the disease, researching that disease, that means 50% of those 7,000 diseases don't have advocates out there educating patients. They don't have advocates out there helping families. They don't have um, pharmaceutical companies, surely, educating HCP. So there's a gross lack of education around the diseases themselves. And that leads to a lot of issues with diagnosis, uh, with access to treatments, and again, 95% of these diseases don't have any single approved treatment. So access to treatment and, and diagnosis are the two big issues. So it sounds as if a rare disease diagnosis by its sheer definition creates downstream effects because of not only a lack of awareness, but a uh, lack of awareness through HDPs or healthcare providers as we're, and, and hence into pharma. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we've heard from a lot of um, advocates that um, they were shocked at the, the bedside manner that they were given their, their diagnosis. You know, we talked to a patient advocate, I guess last week, her son has SMA, spinal muscular atrophy. And she said basically the, the bedside manner at which she was given the diagnosis and then sent on her way was horrifying. And I think this is an experience that many rare disease families can relate with, that they are given this horrible diagnosis. You know, 50% of rare diseases affect children. And a lot of these diseases are fatal for these children. So if they're not given proper information about where to go after the diagnosis, I think that's a really big gap in education amongst HCPs, and it's a really big issue that plagues the rare disease community overall. You know, where to go to get more information after that diagnosis, what patient advocacy groups to seek out for, for support, for more education about what treatments are in the pipeline, where these groups are active in, in your community, in your state. You know, I think, uh, I think that's a big issue. So not to stray too much off topic, but uh, now that we have some rare disease basics, is there any advice you could offer patients or families as they begin to try to navigate through a rare disease diagnosis? So I think the biggest recommendation that I could make is to get involved. Let's refocus our attention back to the upcoming rare disease day um, it's, it's no secret um, that pharmaceutical companies' relationships with advocacy groups and community outreach programs are more important than ever, and it seems that this is because they both desire to connect on a more personal level, patients with the companies and the company with the patients. So, Connor, could you give us a little bit more of an understanding as to why patients would want to become a patient advocate? So there's a, a lot of opportunity you know, first, just big picture, the, the Orphan Drug Act was passed in 1983, and what it did was incentivize uh, pharmaceutical companies to get involved in the clinical development of treatments for rare diseases. You know, one of the biggest issues that they have is is finding patients for their clinical trials. 
there's a lot of barriers to performing uh, or undertaking a clinical trial that the FDA is used to seeing for larger diseases. And, you know, obviously that has a lot to do with the amount of patients and where they're located geographically in the United States for these rare diseases. If you're doing a, a trial in a disease where uh, one in one million is affected, recruitment for your clinical trial is a big issue. So pharmaceutical companies, because they're incentivized by our federal government to develop treatments for these rare diseases, are very interested in partnering with advocacy groups to increase their clinical trial enrollment numbers, to increase disease awareness amongst HCPs and amongst the patient communities overall. And, you know, they're also interested in helping found these these patient advocacy groups, helping patients actually become advocates. They have a vested interest in that. And so a lot of patient groups, larger patient community groups like the National Organization for Rare Disorders, NORD, uh, Global Genes out on the West Coast, the Every Life Foundation, and others have a pool of resources that newly diagnosed patients, their families, their friends can learn from. They can find out how to get involved in the rare disease community as a whole, and they can help discover how to become an advocate. And, you know, really an advocate is, is someone who is out there educating others on the disease, raising money for research, may, raising money for outreach programs and education, diagnosis awareness, etc. And a lot of those groups, the Friedrich Sataxia Research Alliance, who we do a lot of great work with, shout out to our friend Kyle Bryant and his podcast, uh, Two Disabled Dudes, excellent podcast this month. On uh, He did a great interview, Kyle did, with um, some folks from Nord, some folks from the Every Life Foundation, and the CEO of Global Genes on the challenges that face rare disease patients now, twodisableddudes.com. Uh, and then other groups like the Parent Project for Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy and the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, these larger advocacy groups have a wealth of knowledge that needs to be shared with smaller advocacy groups and with patients founding their own advocacy groups. Yeah, you raise an interesting point. It seems that both the pharmaceutical companies and the existing patient advocates desire these patient communities to be multidirectional. By that, I mean the exchange of information both ways, but it doesn't seem to be happening as much as it should. Can you talk about maybe some of the frustrations or challenges that either pharma faces in dealing with patient advocacy organizations or vice versa? So I think there's an inherent distrust amongst patients of pharmaceutical companies. I think that has happened for a lot of reasons. There's also an inherent distrust of our FDA and our federal government and the way that they develop and approve diseases, approve treatments for diseases, rather. So, you know, I think a lot of that can be overcome by learning from these larger advocacy groups like the Parent Project for Muscul Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, etc. A lot can be learned by smaller advocacy groups to help overcome those fears of the FDA, those fears of becoming involved with big pharma, uh, small pharma. A lot of our clients are smaller biotechs that uh, do have no approved treatments. And really, they're, they're focusing all of their efforts around their pipeline assets that are in development just for the treatment of rare diseases. And increasingly, they will hire someone, sometimes a nurse practitioner, sometimes a PharmD, to partner with advocacy groups or to help patients become advocates and to build their own foundation and their own advocacy group. And the reason they do that is to, again, help increase their clinical trial recruitment numbers, help their disease awareness initiatives, and partnering with 
patient advocacy groups can be fruitful for them when they get in front of the FDA so that they can share cases of, you know, what the burden of disease actually looks like for these diseases and what these patients go through on a daily basis. And so I think patients have to be more open to partnering with pharma. So you touched on the improving transparency and obviously disease awareness and education. And to take that even a step further, it sounds like what I'm hearing is that patient advocates, especially the more sophisticated patient advocacy groups, can have a direct impact not only on clinical trial design, but funding and, you know, many other aspects, including unmet needs of drug development. Absolutely. I think the Parent Project for Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy, the Jet Foundation, and other Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy groups showed the rest of the rare disease community best case scenario for getting in front of the FDA after partnering with multiple pharmaceutical companies, but getting in front of the FDA and telling their story and showing the FDA that that patient population and that patient community was willing to accept a greater risk in newly approved treatments. Their goal in Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy is not now is not to find a cure. It's just to help their son stay out of a, a wheelchair for one more year or feed himself for another six months. Clearly, patient advocates and patient advocacy organizations can have a direct impact uh, not only on policy but also on uh, drug development and overcoming barriers. So it begs the question then, how does a, a newly identified patient advocate learn how to interact with big pharma, which sometimes may seem very daunting, and how can they best utilize their time, their resources, and their efforts to begin to make a difference because we know that these pharmaceutical companies do want to hear from them. So it's really a two-step process. Um, you know, the first, the first step in the process um, is something that groups like Nord and Global Genes do really well, and it's help patients become advocates. Um, they need to learn how to file a 501c3, how to start raising money, how to start increasing awareness through social media, launch a website. And I think Global Genes in particular is a great organization that mission is is really to help patients become advocates. Their annual meeting out in um, California in September is, is a great meeting that I would recommend to any patient wanting to become an advocate. Um, and it, their organization is, is great. There's a lot of informational sessions from um, the larger patient groups that I mentioned. Um, the leaders of those groups are, are telling other patients how to, how to raise money. How did we do it? A lot of case studies. And then the second step, you know, once these, these patients have organized, uh, they form these groups, they've become advocacy foundations, is to get out there and, and partner with, with pharmaceutical companies. So tie that in for us, if you would, on how can a group, let's say, that maybe doesn't currently have the resources to travel out to the West Coast, doesn't have the time, how can they utilize the captive audience that's going to be present at Rare Disease Day to begin this process? So that's where Rare Disease Day this year is February 28th. Rare Disease Day historically is the last day in February because of a leap year once every four years. Rare Disease Day is on February 29th, which makes it the rarest day on the calendar. So that's the, a little history behind Rare Disease Day. But these Nord Statehouse events that we talked about earlier are really the perfect opportunity for the recently diagnosed, their families, patients 
their children, advocates to get out there and connect with the community at large, their local community, their local legislators, and then local pharmaceutical companies. Anyone here in the tri-state area in, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, can get, in, get to Harrisburg for our event. It's listed on the Nord website. The same goes for the event in Boston. The same goes for the event in, in D.C., uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And these events are the perfect opportunity for patients to begin talking to other advocacy groups to learn from them and begin talking to pharmaceutical representatives. Patient advocacy leads is usually the title of the person you want to be talking to. But, you know, smaller biotechs and smaller pharmaceuticals who are interested in your disease might not have a patient advocacy lead. And I would encourage, you know, really get get in contact with anyone from that company. They want to hear from you. They want to hear your story, your case, your burden of disease. They want to talk about your path to diagnosis, your patient journey since that time. And they want to hear from you. I was going to ask you what they can expect if they showed up to the Capitol building on rare disease day, but one thing I think that we should emphasize is that there is tremendous collaboration amongst these patient advocacy organizations with each other. In other words, they'll help a new startup organization make contact with the right personnel in the pharmaceutical companies and the right way to go about getting their message out. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think smaller emerging biotech company. There's many here in the Philadelphia area. There's many in the Boston and Cambridge area. There's many in the Chicago area, the South San Francisco, for instance. These companies are looking to, actively looking to partner with patients and uh, the patient community in these specific disease states to find more patients, to identify more patients, to find HCPs, uh, healthcare providers who are willing to become experts in the area and thought leaders in these specific diseases. And we need more of those individuals for all of these 7,000 rare diseases. For those desiring to attend, whether it be in Harrisburg or in Boston or in Washington, D.C. on Rare Disease Day, can you offer any advice on to how they should best prepare to message either their journey or their needs or anything to the representatives from the various pharmaceutical companies and or the state legislators? So the first step is to visit the Nord website and find an event near you. And I actively encourage all patients to visit their site to find more information about an event in their area. And then once you decide on an event to attend on Rare Disease Day, there's a lot of key learnings that I've heard from other advocates from the larger organizations that I mentioned earlier. And chief amongst them is you have to look the part. A lot of these pharmaceutical company contacts that you're trying to make will I think, be more willing to have, sit down and have that conversation with you if you're prepared in advance. You're you're prepared to talk about your disease, the disease that you care about. You're willing to sit down in a professional manner, approach them in a professional manner, sit down with them in a professional manner, and have a conversation about your disease, your needs, and what your thoughts are. I think looking the part to have that conversation with your legislator or with a pharmaceutical representative is very important. And I think that's something that we, we try to tell as many patients as possible. So actually in Pennsylvania, we'll have a, uh, a booth. So if any patients want to come up and talk to us um, to find out more information about connecting with pharmaceutical companies. You'd be happy to make the introduction. Absolutely happy to make those introductions. Uh, we'll also have one representative up in Cambridge or in Boston, rather, at the State House event there, February 28th, and a representative in Washington, D.C. on February 28th. 
And our event here in Pennsylvania is not actually on Rare Disease Day itself. It's actually a few weeks later on Tuesday, March 14th. That event has been scheduled around the legislative schedules here in Pennsylvania. Uh, We want patients attending to have the most amount of impact that day that they can possibly have. And so what we did here in Pennsylvania is schedule around the legislative calendar to make sure as many state representatives and senators were going to be there live to meet with patients. Quite often, it's the patients who have as much, if not more, knowledge than uh, some of the HCPs or even the pharmaceutical companies with regard to the nuances of their specific disease. So they're the holders of the knowledge, and we need to transfer this knowledge to the pharmaceutical companies in order to get the dialogue going. Is there anything you'd like to, to comment on as far as that's concerned? It's absolutely true. I think this rare disease community as a whole is the most informed and active community. You know, more patients have rare diseases than cancer and HIV combined. And getting out there and telling their stories to legislators, to local legislators, state legislators, national legislators, and to pharmaceutical companies is a really key component of what unites all of these 7,000 rare diseases. And as you said, that's a distinguishing factor than dealing with oncology or something where a lot of times the patients go to the healthcare provider in order to glean information. Sometimes the tables are turned here where they're actually educating the healthcare provider, and that's why their voice is so much louder. Absolutely. And this is why pharmaceutical companies want to partner with you. They want to hear your story. They want to hear what you've learned along the way in your specific patient journey. They want to hear what your child has gone through, and they want to pass that information and those key learnings on to other patients, other families, and the community as a whole. So actively seek out representatives from pharmaceutical companies who are undertaking clinical trials in your disease. Actively seek them out, find them, and sit down and have a conversation with them. Can you comment for us at all about the trends on the impact of rare disease days over the last couple of years? In other words, uh, do you see it growing and where do you see rare disease day in the next three to five years? I think, you know, in the 10 years of global rare disease day, the events get larger and larger. There's more events every single year. You know, as we grow our state house events in the United States, I'm very hopeful that more state legislators will be enacting newborn screening laws and other laws to help raise the awareness of rare diseases and increase the time to diagnosis. And I think in in the next three to five years, I think we'll see that more on a national level with our federal government. I think we saw a little bit of that with the 21st Century Cures Act, which was passed into law earlier this year. And I think we'll continue to see that globally as more patient advocacy groups get a larger and larger voice and use this great resource that is Rare Disease Day to their advantage across the globe. And again, just to make sure we drive this point home, give us the dates and the locations again of the three rare disease days on the East Coast that are going to have the most impact. The events that we'll be at February 28th, 2017, will be in Boston at the state capitol and also in Washington, D.C. at the national capitol. And here in Pennsylvania, our Rare Disease Day event is going to be Tuesday, March 14th. And the reason for that being... We wanted to make the uh, have the biggest impact with legislators, and we wanted them available to be able to meet with patients. Great. And as a resource, again, where would you direct um, aspiring patient advocates to go to get initial information on how to become a, a true patient advocate? 
So they can contact us here at Connection Healthcare anytime. Our Rare Disease Center of Excellence and its representatives are always happy to help out patients. But I would really recommend Nord, uh, the Nord website, Global Genes, the Every Life Foundation, I think are the big three larger rare disease community websites that they can check out. And then I would um, I would look to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, the Parent Project for Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy, and the Friedrichs Ataxia Research Alliances as three well-established patient advocacy organizations that are having a real impact on research and fundraising. Yeah, um, agreed. And these more sophisticated patient advocacy organizations are providing critical guidance on how to overcome the barriers that we talked about in the beginning of this podcast. And it was only a few short years ago that they were infant patient, patient advocacy organizations as well. Yeah, absolutely. The Cystic Fibrosis Foundation actively is involved in clinical trials with pharmaceutical companies, and I think they're a great organization for smaller groups to look to and learn from. Well, I'd like to thank Connor Galloway and the Rare Disease Center of Excellence from Connection Healthcare for this informative background on patient advocacy organizations. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please feel free to subscribe through the iTunes application as we will be regularly updating this information. We welcome comment and feedback to today's topic. Feel free to reach out and we'd be happy to discuss or include you in our next podcast. Please also visit us at www.connectionhealthcare.com for more detail on rare disease and our other center of excellence, oncology. Connection Healthcare is a full-service medical and healthcare communications agency. The information provided in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek the advice of a physician or a qualified healthcare provider for any questions regarding disease prevention, diagnosis, and treatment, or other aspects of medical care. Thank you. Thank you.